Stacking them deep, selling them cheap. That tastes like gasoline, rubber, and victory. We're just out here stacking pennies. Welcome back, guys. This is Stacking Pennies. There are only three more weeks of this, I guess. We might go into the offseason, but who knows? Big week we're covering at Kansas. And what do you know? The five cars back in victory lane. I'm joined by my good friends, Mr. Chuck Bush. I think he got to nine and a half wins on the season. He did, and we'll talk about that, that here in the opening of the show. I'm also joined by my good buddy, Ryan Flores, front changer, the banged up two car this weekend, but they saved their shot at the championship. Welcome back. Happy to be here. And guys, I just want to start the show with a little surprise for y'all. As you guys know, the legend of Merriman's Ice Club Blue Mountain Takes continues to grow more and more every week. Please, I will give you this week's Ice Cold Take of the week. Janie, hit us with it. It's hard to bet against the five. Do you agree or not with that, Merriman? I'll take the five, but I don't think he's going to win the race. Larson wins at Kansas. <laughs> so cold. It's cold in so here. Cold. It's cold in here. I come from a long line of icy people. My great, great, great grandfather was the uh, captain of the Titanic. Wow. Great, oh great, great. That's like, that's, that's, wow. Mr. Sir Good Merriman, Captain. <laughs> Welcome to the show. I appreciate your ice cold takes every week. I cannot wait to hear how icy cold those takes are this weekend leading to Martinsville. Merriman, what's going on? Uh, you know, I'm just picking up my uh my pride off of the floor. Um, but you know, it's on brand. So uh yeah, sprinkle tires, ice cold takes, and something else. We'll have some a whole lot of t shirts here before. You can sell some Brovel. Brovel. Yeah, how could I forget about that? Brovel was a terrible take. I'd just like to say that I think we called the fact that he was going to win. Everybody but Merriman called the fact that uh, Larson was going to win at Kansas based off of his performance earlier in the year. Just saying. Well, here's the thing, too. NASCAR always has a way of delivering on storylines. It's almost like spooky how often any sort of cool or historical or sentimental storylines get delivered on. It's almost like a common occurrence. Uh, there were so many cool elements wrapped up into this particular weekend, being the 17th anniversary of that Hendrick plane crash on the way to Martinsville. Um, you tie in Ricky Hendrick's first career truck series win was in the 17 car with the same paint scheme that Kyle Larson was running on Sunday at Kansas Speedway. I mean, Chuck, they did. I mean, they turned their hats backwards for Ricky uh, on the fifth lap. Fast forward, they did it in victory lane. So there was so many cool things that, I mean, you knew, regardless of the speed that fives had all weekend or all year for that matter, you know they were going to be the one in the victory lane holding the trophy at the end of the day. Oh, totally. And and that that whole weekend, like normally, you know, it's the Martinsville weekend. We're heading to Martinsville this this coming weekend. And that, that place holds a special place for Hendrick Motorsports. And anytime they win there, like it's big, but – when you see Larson winning, what, three in a row twice this year, I think now? And the last time that happened was in, what, 1987? Dale Sr. did it. There's just a lot that is coming together. Like you said, those storylines, it almost seems like it's scripted, but it's just cool when you see that stuff come together on those weekends. Because there's a lot of times in NASCAR that it, it doesn't. Like Jeff Gordon's last race, he runs for a championship, but he doesn't get it. Like you would have thought, oh, that one, they're going to mail that one in. But this one, it just holds a little bit more because of everything surrounding it. And that paint scheme is just an awesome paint scheme. 
Absolutely, because there is some sentimental value behind it. Now, we'd have to point out that the five was not the fastest car this weekend. That was the 24 who had a little bit of a pit road woe, Ryan. What happened to those guys? Yeah, I guess uh, on the last stop there, didn't get all lug nuts on. So if you have, you know, if you have three or more missing, which they'll know right away when the car leaves, there's three or more missing. Uh, you got to come back because you're going to get disqualified. Two, two missing, you know, you'll let it ride because you can do without your crew chief for a week, especially if you're not in the playoffs, which there is a crew chief suspension this week, I think from the 20 car. But yeah, the last stop, man, if you're, if you have a little bit of a rocky on pattern and they cut the jack, you saw it with the 22 this weekend, they zoomed in on uh, Dustin there, only had two or three tight on the left front. So it's something that, uh, especially on that last stop when you're rushing that jack drop, it can happen. Speaking of woes in the 20 car, which makes me think of Adam Stevens, Ben Bayshore, my God, did you hear Cowboy screaming on the radio this weekend? Yes, I did not. Corey, did you, did you hear it? I did. I went back and watched it. I don't know if it was, you know, Kyle Busch has been particularly tight over the last couple of weeks. You know, he was laughing like the Joker at Texas because he says his, his car wasn't handling in, in dirty air. Uh, he's been complaining about the front end of those Gibbs cars for a while now. But I don't know if it was the fact that Bubba passed him for 10 spot, maybe a stage point, took it away from him or something. He was I mean, it was a bunch of pent up frustration out of that 18 car. And I don't care who it is. The poor sucker on the other side of that radio cannot feel good when Kyle Busch is the one yelling at him. Yeah, here, here we go. In case you missed it. The one at the end gets me. He's like, ah. <laughs> is that is is Kyle the new Kurt or what is that? That sounded very Kurdish. I'm not trying to hurt your feelings, Chuck. <laughs> Look at him. He's like, <laughs> just stunned. Kyle has a history of doing that stuff, though. I mean, you, what, what was it? Uh, Martinsville a couple of years ago, Merriman, where oh his my oh my f. I remixed yeah, the like, hell out of that. He's had some gold, solid gold hits. Well, you can't even tell what he's saying there. He's literally just screaming. But, like, both of the Bush brothers have – just go on YouTube and, and Google it. Uh, can you Google on YouTube? I'm not <laughs> sure. It's a, uh, it's a Google product, right? It could be a yeah. search on YouTube. You just search it. One of the common themes this weekend were all the playoff guys had some hard, some sort of hard time. And, and Ryan, when he called me on the way back from the airport last night, it was almost a test of who could mitigate crash damage – the best and get the best or salvage the best finish uh, you possibly could with everybody having bad days. I can't tell you how much that wind was moving those cars around. It was unbelievable. I mean, it would legitimately push your car a lane over and you weren't even in control of it. I mean, that's how much you saw a couple guys running the fence, a couple guys getting the fence added to with Kyle Bush being probably the first guy on lap 34, getting in the fence, we saw Brad get tied off a of two right in front of uh, Truex. They both made contact. I, I don't think Brad pitted there, though. Uh, we didn't right away, but then the tire, right rear went flat. We can get in right quick. Why the tires, and Ryan, you can explain probably a little bit better on the technical side. When the cars are trimmed out as much as they are for the mile and a half, tires are sucked up into the wheel wells so much. So all it takes, with, with no damage, your tires might be – half an inch away from the outside of the fender and when those things get pushed in the wheel wells are like, kind of like pushed out on a cup car as soon as those things get smushed in they rub against the sidewall and it's game over yeah you're in your crush panels right like so inside the wheel well there's there's paneling that we call them crush panels because it's what comes from the firewalls 
to the body. So it is a crush zone. So they, they can crush. That's why they're crush panels. And that's what seals up, you know, the whole car. That's like an extra firewall. Being that uh, they're in the car, you're going to use them as an aero device if you can. So at some points, they're really close to the tire. Other points are really far away. But when you hit the fence, they crush and they rub the tire. It's either them or a body brace. So as a pit crew guy, when you pit, like we did under green with the right side smashed on the car and a flat tire, you have to go through the checklist of, okay, crush panels cleared, fenders cleared. Is there a body brace in here that's going to flatten the tire or rub on the tire? And then if you are on the corner of the car that has the tire flat, you have to make sure that none of the carcass is wrapped around the hub because then your hub will burn up and, and uh, you know, that thing will be on fire. So it's a tough time to uh, to be able to deal with all that and get it right and not lose, you know, too many laps on pit road. It was easier, Chuck, to count the guys who didn't have problems in our playoffs than it was the ones that didn't. Obviously, the ones that didn't have a tough time were the five of Kyle Larson, the most dominant guy we've had all year. I can make an argument. This might be an ice cold Blue Mountain take. If a driver sweeps the last three races leading into Phoenix, they should just go ahead and give him the trophy. That's almost like a walk-off home run, but that's also not how we do it, guys. So you can win 10 races in the regular season or in the playoffs even and not win Phoenix, and the big trophy doesn't come home with you. But uh, Chase Elliott had a solid day. Denny Hamlin, I think he ended up fifth. Kyle Busch, bad day. Ryan Blaney, the three got in his left rear, and he augured in the fence, wasn't able to finish, finished 37. Martin Truex Jr. had a couple flats. Brad, you guys mitigated the losses there because there was one point in time during the race, you guys were 40 out. Now you guys are only six away, which is manageable going into Martinsville this weekend. And then Joey, he's got to win to get his way in. But let me point out, the year he won the championship, similar to Chase Elliott, he won Martinsville, punched his ticket to Homestead, and came back with a big trophy. So it, Martinsville is about to be wild. So are you saying that the person that wins Martinsville, if it's one of those eight drivers – is your money going to be on that guy to win the championship? If it's the five, then yes. Okay. If it's not the five, then probably not. So uh, I know Cliff, a little inside intel, they haven't raced the car that they're taking to Phoenix since the first Phoenix race. They've been polishing on that thing for over six months now because they thought they had a really good car there. I think Kyle sped on pit road a couple of times, and they still finished seventh. So they feel like they had a good car there, put an updated body on that thing, and they're going to go to work feeling pretty good about it winning two out of the, the first two races in the round eight. I mean, I just love the fact that the bubble right now, there's four drivers that are within six points of the bubble. So it's anybody, like it is really anybody's race at Martinsville. Well, when you look at it, there was the three of those guys have won there. Yeah. And Blaney was pulling the 11 down the last race there and had a penalty on the last pit stop and lost the track position. So, and he won both stages the last race. So it's going to be a, a barn burner. And the hot dog stand's open, so it's definitely going to be a barn Jeez. burner. Jeez. Dang it. Wish I was going. Man. Well, it's only two hours away. Jonathan, get in your car and yeah. roll. What are, you, what are you doing? Go be a fan. I got Halloween with kids and all this stuff. Responsibilities, man. Get in the way. Hashtag dad life for sure. I don't want to get mm -hmm. too far into Martinsville yet. Let's talk a little bit about Kansas still. My car looked cool, ran slower and shit, but it looked cool, that stroke race scheme. Uh, it was also a cool stroke race recreation video uh, that Chuck and NASCAR Productions produced. So I wanted to thank Janie and Chuck for doing that because I got a lot of compliments on that video. It turned out pretty funny. Dude, that was, that was probably one of the coolest things I've worked on working at NASCAR. Just because, like, McGee, Ryan McGee, shout out to Ryan McGee, was 
I mean, no offense, Corey. He made that No video. question. I wish I could have watched it back. Like, I wish I could have saw it because I was talking a little bit fast. I was a little nervous, you know? I was yeah. trying to trying to compare myself up against Burt Reynolds. Not possible. Don't, yeah, don't do that. Like, Burt is, is a uh, man among men. He is. Was. Was. So, yes, I, but it was, it was awesome how it turned out. Coincidentally, we were able to put in a crash scene from the previous week there, unfortunately. It's been a tough month for old Spire Motorsports, not going to lie. We've had, uh, haven't had very fast race cars. I don't know if we're just uh, trying to get to the offseason and concentrating this next-gen car or what, but uh, we are looking forward to going to Martinsville because uh, we were running good there in the spring. We got crashed on pit road, running in the top 10. So that's a spot that I particularly love as a driver. It takes a lot of discipline, a little bit of tire conservation, a little bit of brake conservation, and there's a particular way to make speed around there. And it's hard, man. Martinsville's a tough track to get around. So it's just, man, there's so many storylines this weekend. I mean, here's the thing, too. The last race of these short track cars. So you don't care if these things are battered, beaten, bruised up. Like, you're going to get every ounce of good out of these short track cars. Spindles, steering boxes. It's the last time you're ever going to run these things. So guys are going to be driving all over each other. You're probably going to see more tires flat than you generally do with these things, just because you're going to have guys looking to the end of the season, looking to make a name for themselves and try to get a good finish for their team, maybe for a bonus check for the end of the year. Like there are a lot of variables going to this weekend, Merriman. So what kind of ice cold Blue Mountain takes are you looking for out of Martinsville? Uh, I mean, it's it's one of my favorite tracks, right? It's it's my home track. I grew up about an hour and a half away, away from there. So uh, people get tired of me talking about Martinsville, but it is, I think, the best place to watch a race on the circuit. Get your seat in one of the turns. You don't have to turn your head as much. Get you about 10 hot dogs. You'll be set. You might not sleep well at night, but you'll be good. But uh, the fall race here is, I think, one of the best tickets in all of motorsports because I've been in the middle of one of these. Uh, fights happen on pit road. Uh, so when Joey... And Denny were going at it. I just uh, me and Chuck just so happened to be down there in the in the thick of it. Chase and Denny also happened in the fall at this racetrack. Uh, I'm sure there's quite a few more that I'm missing. But if you're going to get payback uh, on anyone, uh, or you have uh, an axe to grind against anyone, odds are uh, you can get that done at Martinsville. And I think it just makes it the the confines are so tight. It just makes it impossible. To get away from anyone, a lot of a uh, lot of discussion in in both series last weekend of non-playoff drivers racing playoff drivers. Odds are there's going to be a ton of that this weekend. There are going to be people getting into each other that playoff guys probably are going to think don't need to be racing them that hard. So I'm looking for a lot of drama coming out of this race. Well, as of right now, it's sitting as a Hendrick versus Gibbs championship race. If things stayed the same as they are right now, which I can promise you that they won't. It's uh, Larson and Elliott versus Hamlin and Kyle Busch going into Martinsville. Now, mind you, Martin Truex Jr. has won three out of the last four races there, so he is only three points back, obviously has a chance to point his way stage points in, maybe if a guy or two has a bad day in front of him. You're not so worried about a win in your end situation now that the five cars won the first two races uh, of this particular round. So I think it opens a door for another guy you know, it opens the door for a Ryan, uh, uh, I say Ryan Truex Jr., Martin Truex Jr., to maybe not necessarily win, but could have a good solid day, get a couple of stage points, finish in the top three, and find himself on the inside looking at the guys trying to 
trying to send a Hail Mary in the last the last run of the day. That's my pick to win. I think the nineteen car is gonna gonna do it and make things interesting for for his two Gibbs teammates. I don't think so. Mark this time code down, Janie, for next week. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we want that ice cold take heading into Phoenix. I don't think it'll be two Hendrick two Gibbs. I, I think, think Kurt be- Bush is gonna win, says Chuck. Hey. No, that was not what I was going to say. That strong run to Kansas. Shout out to Curtis. I do think that one of the Penske cars is going to get their way into that championship round, whether it's Kez or Blaney. Pick one. Pick one. I, Pick I think one. I think the, the two's going to have three loose lugs at the oh, end. Oh, you son. Don't you put that on me. Put that on me. I mean, I don't know. I, I Like you said earlier, though, Blaney had a pretty good shot at it uh, at the beginning of the year, so I would lean towards Blaney, but Kez is no slouch at Martinsville either. So it, it's this is why we watch racing like it is it is going to be a tight race and you i could say yeah blaney's gonna get it blaney's gonna be the guy that gets to the next round because he's only one point back and that thing that could have been catastrophic wasn't completely catastrophic to his playoff chances does that light a fire under his ass maybe maybe not i have one issue with blaney at martinsville he's too nice and he's too nice to his teammates joey and brad chew him up and spit him out Every time we go there, he tries to let him in line. They won't let him back down. They wear his back bumper out. I'll say this much. I think Penske races each other more aggressive than any team in the garage. And I think at Martinsville, Blaney has been on the receiving end of that aggression. And you can go back, search my Twitter feed for years. I've said, if this kid wants to win at Martinsville, he's going to have to, you know, lay one on his teammates. I've got an idea, Chuck. It hit me like a lightning bolt. This has got nothing to do with Team Penske and how hard they race each other, which I do agree with Merriman's point. If there is a tiebreaker for the last fourth-place spot to go to Phoenix, I don't want to read some Bob Pocker's tweet about how their second-stage finish at Texas was two-and-a-half spots better than this guy. I want a hot-dog-eating contest on the front stretch for the playoff spot into Phoenix. Who do you think wins in a three-way tiebreaker hot dog eating contest on the front stretch? Ryan Blaney, Brad Keselowski, or Kyle Busch? Hands down, Ryan Blaney. You think so? No, like, look, Kez, I don't know if he's got the dexterity to pull off the speed that you would need for a hot dog eating contest. It ain't basketball. (sighs) Um, but I've watched a lot of the Penske game stuff. And when it comes to like that type of thing between those two, I'm going Blaney Kyle. That's the outlier. I haven't, it sounds weird. I haven't seen him eat before, so I don't know. Uh, I've got a theory. Okay. I think Samantha keeps Kyle on, on quite a strict diet. So I think if you let that man loose on about 50 Martinsville hot dogs, I think he'll down them faster than anything. I don't know. They ain't man. bringing no hot dogs into that Lake Norman house. Have you, have you ever been in a hot dog eating contest? Surprisingly, no. No. Uh, I know my body shape would say yeah. differently, but I have not. I have been in one at Pocono Raceway that Richard Petty judged. It was one of the Nathan's uh, qualifiers back when. What did the king say about your. Uh, he your invited party? me to a cookout later that evening. Oh. <laughs> I was like. <laughs> I, I lo- thank you for the invite, sir, but I'm going to have to respectfully decline. I could not look at a single hot dog after that. But what about one in a relationship? What? 
You said you couldn't look at a single hot dog after that. I just asked about one in a relationship. Yeah, that was a terrible bad joke. Anyway, I, it, there, there's technique to it, and I just don't think that any of our NASCAR drivers, because I didn't have it. I got 10, and I was impressed with my 10. Blaney, it's Blaney. I feel like he'd be kind of like Kobayashi, you know, kind of like unassuming, a little bit of skinny, frail guy, and it's like, where did all them hot dogs go? Nick, and Ryan's biting his tongue. He wants it. He'd be back there force feeding Brad's <laughs> Brad a hot dog, jamming it down his throat. He's calling Kez to uh, while they're doing pit practice, and then after practice, they're doing hot dog practice, so he can get this. Hey, I'm not worried about it. Ain't gonna be no hot dog eating contest. We're going at ass. Ain't gonna be no tiebreaker. The the weird part for me, getting back to like reality of it, is like when you look at it, Blaney. It's it's a tale of three races if if one of these guys doesn't win, right? And Blaney always fires off and gets stage points early, but he seems to fade later. Where Brad like might not get stage points early, and same thing with Martin, and then they're there at the end of the race. So that's that's what I think is going to be interesting. Is Chuck frozen? Is Chuck frozen? It's so guys? funny. He's frozen in the most <laughs> so perfect, funny. The most perfect. <laughs> I'm making that my the picture when he calls me. <laughs> Everybody screenshot it. That's good. Oh, man. Well, it's funny you should say that because Brad Kozlowski has some solid Martinsville stats with two wins in 2016 and 2019. But what's even more impressive is nine top five finishes in the last 11 starts. Let me say it again. Nine top five finishes in the last 11 starts. That is a damn solid stat going into the half-mile paperclip where so many different things can go wrong. So how do you like your chances realistically? As far as just managing the whole race, he's one of the best at it, right? Uh, the last race we ran there, we were very fast. We lost power steering, um, which caused us to not be able to we, – we lose power steering at low RPM, so we couldn't restart well. We couldn't get on pit road well, and it ultimately took us out of the race when there was a wreck on the backstretch. But he is awesome at being there at the end, like the old David Pearson, right? Old Matt Kenseth. He's there at the end. The problem is with this weekend, you're going to have to be there for all three stages. So maybe the old school, you know, saving your stuff, making sure your brakes are on it for the last run of the day. You're going to have to get, you know, if Blaney scores 20 points like he did the last race there or somebody else does, you know, it's, it's going to make it an uphill battle in the final stage. You're going to have to win the race. So, We'll see how it plays out. I think we have as good a shot as anybody. And um, I did see a lot of guys this weekend kind of their shoulders go down, their head goes down when they have an issue like that. We were kind of laughing about it. Ready. We're, we're ready for a dog fight the whole time. Our whole team is. So it was, we, we finished what fifth last week or fourth and we ran in the top five all race and we gained one point on the cutoff line and we didn't get any points this week. We're two laps down, finished 17th and gained nine on the cutoff line. So we kind of thought that was funny and we're ready to go. Well, that's my point last week, that you're not racing everybody else. It doesn't matter if you finish 17th or 4th. You're racing the other seven guys that you're trying to get points on. So that was a perfect case in point. You know, if the top seven guy, top eight guys are in the top top eight, you know, you can only intermingle one or two spots here or there. But when you have so many guys have issues with Ryan Blaney finishing 37th when he was plus 12 or 17 going into the, going into the race, stuff can happen in an instant. That's why Martinsville – is my favorite race of a cutoff race that there can possibly be. Daytona is an awesome last regular season race of the year. I love Bristol as a cutoff race as well, but Martinsville is a perfect spot to uh, earmark our four guys that are going to be racing for a championship 
next week at Phoenix here, Merriman. Yeah, look, doing it for 74 years. Next year, I believe, is our 75th anniversary. So, you know, the the clock, the trophy, right, is a, is a fitting, obviously, gift to the winner uh, because that place is literally frozen in time. That It hasn't changed all that much over those 74 years. Used to be dirt back in the day, though. Had a cool conversation with Junior Johnson about uh, cars getting stuck on the inside of one of those turns. I don't know if a lot of people know this, but there's actually a live creek that runs under the racetrack. And it used to cause the the turns to get muddied up. And back in those days, Junior Johnson said everybody got stuck in the mud in Martinsville. That's bizarre. Now, we also had a Corey Stories. If y'all remember, we used to do that. Used to have some fun with it before the first Martinsville race this year. We have a little bit Corey's Stories back for you, talking about the clock, the old TikTok trophy that they've given out this weekend, one of the most coveted trophies we have on the circuit. So stand by for that, Corey Stories, but we're going to come right back with some pit road boats and woes. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You know what time it is. It is time for Pit Road Boats and Woes with my good friend Ryan Flores, front changer on the round of eight playoff contending team of Brad Kozlowski. There were some woes and there were some boats because if there was some sails on them boats, they would have been flown away. That was the windiest I've ever been at the racetrack in a long time. Oh, yeah. And the raindrops were gigantic. when they There wasn't a lot of them, but when they hit you, it hurt. It was weird. The rain was weird, and then the wind, yeah. So down on our end of pit road, we were down towards turn one. 24s, canopy blew off, and the, the story, and this is the story I'm going with. I don't know if it's true, that a, something hit Rudy Frugal in the head and knocked him out cold. So take that to the bank. That's the one we're going with. And then next to us, the 53 car, Joey Gaze, his top blew off, hit my tire carrier. Our top almost blew off. So, yeah, it got a little rowdy on pit road for sure. But as hard as the wind was to manage on the racetrack it was equally as hard to manage your pit box at the time so we felt your pain yes yes it was well we had a couple woes on pit road myself we had a loose wheel a left rear pretty much i had to pit off seat off schedule and then you're trying to get cute with fuel strategy that never really worked out so then you get put behind the eight ball if you don't have the speed you know of a of a contending race winning car you might be able to claw your way back but uh, we don't, so we have to have everything to go perfect to just finish on the lead lap. 
so it wasn't our day. Uh, we didn't have a super fast car, but you guys had an interesting day because you guys had some damage early. And then you had a little bit of late as well. But the fact that you guys got that two car close enough to at least have some decent speed after the fact that got pounded in the fence and also manage and, and keep the damage loss a point situation to give yourself a shot into Martinsville. How do the conversations today, you know, after pit practice, after debrief with your pit crew coach, like, are you guys trying to adjust how you do that in the future? Or are you kind of like giving yourselves pat on the backs for being able to do that? Like what's the mood in the shop on a, the next day? Uh, like for, for our group, we don't dive into damage repair too much, right? Unless there's something really big to learn there. It's, it's very hard for uh, to be a picker guy and to be able to fix the car right because you're not working on it every week. So you don't know where braces are. You don't know where crush panels are. You don't know kind of uh, where they want you to pull and push. So, so like knowing that, you want to be careful of, of what you do grab, right? But what I was proud of is you, you see a lot of these guys – when there's damage, the pit crew stays back and the road crew goes over and fixes it. And when we got that flat in the first stage, it was our pit crew. We went out there, we put two tires on it. We clearance the fenders um, and we sent them back out. The car was fixed in 13 seconds, right? So to be able to do that and only go one down, we went a second lap down because we just got, we just got loose in the run, but to only, to only lose one lap and be able to fix that, you know, that's the type of stuff that when you're in the grind and you're in the, the meat and potatoes of this round of eight, that's the type of stuff um, when you look back, if you make it in the round of four that you can say, hey, we saved, you know, a point or two there, which, which you know, last year we made it in the round of four by one point. So the 18 car had probably the most amount of damage out of all the playoff contenders besides Ryan Blaney, who wasn't able to finish because he'd knocked the wall down. Uh, but the 18 car was wrecked. And yeah. they got the thing, got the quarter panel put back on it when that was an instance where the road crew goes over and fixes it. Right. I mean, they were all hands on deck to try to get that car back on track. Yeah. At that point, you're just trying to make minimum seed like his right rear quarter panel separated at the, you know, right at that quarter window. So you're like terminal damage at that point. And nowadays you're not allowed to just put, bring sheet metal out and screw it to your car. Like we used to be able to, right. You have to do it with bare bond. You can't bring body panels. Hell we used to bring, Every body panel for the car on a cart. There was so much stuff on pit road, you know, three, four years ago before they got rid of that rule. You would just fix the whole car right there. You would have cut it off or just masked it with a new one. So you really have to be pretty, pretty tricky with the way you do it. You are allowed to add body braces, but it's just such a hard thing, especially on the right rear when those crush panels get blown out because it's almost impossible on the right rear and the left rear, especially with gas on the left rear to get that stuff to seal back up and, and you're just in trouble. So you try to clearance the fenders and do the best you can. Also, the right rear quarter panel is so critical at mile and a half to your side force, right? And your and your rear grip. When you hurt that thing, it's a direct reflection on the car. One of the biggest woes of the race on track was the 24 car not having enough lug nuts on the last stop of the day. Uh, I believe it was the left front. They had to come back in and put Lugnus back on because they would have been disqualified had they not obviously taken probably the most dominant car of the day in William Byron out and allow the five car to win number nine on the year. What happens on that last stop where, you know, the Jack might drop a little bit early. Is he watching the left front guy? Is the Jack man watching the left rear guy? What's he going off of uh, when he drops the Jack on the money stop? We've seen this. We've seen this a lot here lately. Xfinity Series. We saw it last week with the 16. We saw it a couple times this weekend. 
um, when it seems to be like the left, the left side, if you get off the right side fast and you get to the left side, right? If the jack man putting the left rear tire on tends to have a little bit of a hiccup or it's a little bit slow there, they'll just rip it on the rear changer, trusting that the front has not had an issue. But if the front has had an issue, then you're really screwed. Uh, we saw it with Almondinger last week where they didn't even have the left front changed yet and they dropped the jack. Uh, we saw it with the 22 this week where they only got two or three lug nuts on the left front. And then again uh, with the 24, the hardest thing to do is when you have a bad left front, you'll call it an exchange from the time that you're off pattern, pull the tire, the left front on, you're almost, when you're hitting your on pattern, you're almost anticipating the car dropping so you're not aggressive and that's when you start missing. And when you're racing for the win, when that jackman sees you hit five, he's ripping it, even if he does see you. And if you've missed two or three and you only get two lug nuts on in your five hits, yeah, sometimes it's on you. So that's a hard situation, but that on the money stop, it's like you don't mind it when you're going for a win, right? If, if it was the playoffs or you kind of had to check up a little bit, they're out of the playoffs, they're going for a win, they're letting it eat. So uh, good on those guys for being aggressive. Sucks that it didn't work out for them. Yeah, I mean, it's all circumstantial, right? Because if they are in the playoff mix, they couldn't afford to come back down and put plug nuts on it. But they also couldn't afford to get disqualified either. Uh, so, yeah, the 24, Rudy was going, had a big knot in his forehead from catching a canopy to the to the face. But, you know, he was letting his guys eat it. Speaking of eat it, how many hot dogs are you eat this weekend in Martinsville? I'm not touching one hot dog at all. You can have all of my hot dogs. What are you, a communist? I'm not, I'm just, uh, I'm nope, not my deal. Not a hot dog eater? Not. I had one when we went for the late model race a couple years back and I stay away from them. Your, your stomach's still upset from it? I steer clear. Maybe that's my problem. I'm going to have at least three. That's what I'm going to have. That's kind three? of three. Yeah. Three, two before. I hope you're not wearing your white fire suit. You might want to wear the black Schluter fire suit this week. 500 laps, long time with two dogs sitting in your belly, for sure. I can promise you that. What are some things – I know you mentioned before that you tape your fingertips extra than more than you usually do because of wheel heat because we'll see brake rotor temperatures over 1,100, 1,200 degrees. We'll see caliper temperatures over 800 degrees. All that stuff radiates into the wheels and the lug nuts that you're hitting on a 13-second stop. What factors do heat alone play at a place like Martinsville? Your pit stops better be faster than 13 seconds if you want to get to the round four this weekend. People are going to be letting it rip. But one thing, it, Martinsville is the most treacherous pit road we go to. It's very tight. Um, the speed limit is only 35, I believe. But there's corners on both ends. Within both those corners, obviously, Martinsville is thought of as a flat track, but it has banking. The corners on pit road also have banking. Not the pit boxes themselves, but right at the pit box line, it goes up. And a lot of the work you do with such a small pit box is outside of the pit box line. So you're working on an incline. Um, that's something you'll see, especially in turns, if you're pitted down towards the end of pit road in turn three and four, it's really bad there. You'll see guys want to pick on the straightaway. The the thing, if you remember back last year when the nine cars Jackman jumped off pit wall early, went back and tagged and then went back out, that's something you see a lot there when you're pitted on the curve because you cannot see the car coming around. So you're almost trusting the spotter when they say two away you're jumping and hoping that uh hoping that you land and with enough time that the car is is close enough and you're not going to get called on it there's no cheating the pro system that they use to call penalties on jump uh, on jump penalties for sure so if you can get one on the 
on the straightaway, that's good. But if you can have pit stall one or two, that's even better. So look out for jump penalties. Look out for hoses getting tangled up. You want to control your tires this weekend. Another thing that can happen here a lot is cars. It happened to us last race. Cars parking too close to the wall, not being able to jack them up. Plus and minus on pit road, you're, you're going to see a lot of it. Explain to the listeners why when a jack man can't get a full pump and a big windup, like people think that it's just this floor jack that you wheel around your garage. Like there are some big boys that can't get these things up if they don't get a full pump at it. Yeah. I'm 185 pounds and um, I'm what, five, 10, 185 pounds. I can't get that jack up, especially at Martinsville. You, you tend to see, you want to use a bigger jack, which has a bigger stroke. Some guys do because the left side of the car, you run as low as you can. So you take some bigger heave to get it up on the left side. So these guys, if you don't have your full body weight behind it, you're not at the end of the handle, you can get pinned and, and be stuck on the handle and the car's not going anywhere. You're just hanging there like a pogo stick. So it's a very physical job. And there's a reason that the Jackmen are that big that do it. It's, it's, uh, it's no joke. So a lot of brake, a lot of brake dust. And the big thing with brake dust that you'll see, and it happened to us in Vegas, actually, on a green flag stop, is it's not only hard to see the lug nuts, but when you pull the tire off, all that dust is going to fall on the ground. So now when the jackman's going to run around and gets the right front headlight, if you step in that brake dust, it's like, it's like ice, and you're going down. So these are all things that if they happen uh, to you, you're going to lose a lot of spots because people are bringing their A-game. Those are a ton of facts in pit road boats and woes this week. So a lot of variables to uh, try to overcome. You guys are going to try to overcome a six-point deficit. One to ten, ten being you guys are going to be in Phoenix. How positive and confident is your overall pit crew and team going into this? I We're going for a fight. So, like, we're, we're planning on being there. So our mindset, 10 out of 10 we're going. Yes, yeah, six-point deficit's one thing, but we're going to win the race. So – after the, you know, when it comes to stage breaks and all that, we'll play the game the best we can, but we're going to control what we control in the pit box and do the best we can, not only on, on Sunday, but on Saturday night with Austin as well. Oh yeah. Going for two championship spots being uh, with Austin Sendrick trying to get, is he, I'm pretty sure he's probably set on points to get his way into Phoenix. I would presume. Yeah. I think if you get, you know, a couple stage points in the first stage, you're in good shape, but anything can happen. And it can happen for sure. We've seen some pileups in the first lap at Martinsville when guys are trying to get to the bottom into three and get the old accordion back. But good luck to you and your escapades of trying to get two of your cars onto Phoenix Race for a championship. All the stack of pennies listeners better be watching the front tire changer and put all your eyeballs on him, put up the pressure, he can handle it. And there you have it. Pit Road Boats and Woes going to Martinsville, the paperclip this weekend. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate, how a broom almost killed curling. 
It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word, Broomgate. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. After a brief hiatus, buckle up. We're about to dive into a Corey Stories. Each year, the race is ticked by like seconds on the clock, moving faster and faster into the blur of innovation and advancement. There's one place where time almost stands still. Martinsville Speedway has withstood the test of time. While others have swapped straightaways, redesigned turns, and added banking, the paperclip has always featured drag strip straightaways and hairpin corners, keeping drivers honest to their short track routes. Sure, its turns have been dirt, asphalt, and concrete, but the fact is that she remains the sole stop on the Cup Series schedule since NASCAR's inaugural season in 1949. This hollowed ground does not give away victories. Drivers have to earn them. Practically every driver in the NASCAR Hall of Fame has claimed the coveted win at the Southern Virginia Gem. Richard Petty has 15 wins, DW has 11. Jeff Gordon and Jimmy Johnson both have nine. Hell, some drivers spend their whole careers trying to get one of those clocks. Just listen to how happy Junebug and Boyer were after their first wins. Speaking of that grandfather clock, you know, the reason for all the clock puns, it has been presented every year since 1964, since the first one was presented to winner Fred Lorenzen. For years, the clocks were built locally, a tie-in in between the track and the Martinsville community. When track founder Henry Clay Earls began this unique tradition, the clocks were manufactured only three miles down the road from the track in Ridgeway, Virginia. In 2005, Ridgeway Clocks moved its operation to Michigan, but one of those towering beasts is still handed out to every Martinsville winner. Similar to the changing seasons, NASCAR springs forward to the paperclip each year where tempers flare. And in the fall, as the leaves change, drivers battle to see who can punch their ticket to race for NASCAR immortality. This Sunday at the 11th hour, Will Martinsville's clock help a driver move on to the final round? For whom will the bell toll? Whatever the outcome, as the laps tick by, another driver will add their name to the timeless history. That is Martinsville. All right, guys, the clock has struck 12 on this episode. Thank you for joining me again for Corey Stories. It is jackpot time. Jackpot races. Go on the app. Download it. You have a chance to win $25,000. If you don't listen to Jonathan Merriman on who to pick, Merriman, who is in segment one this week? Group one, Kyle Larson, Denny Hamlin, Martin Truex Jr., Ryan Blaney, Chase Elliott, and Joey Logano. Oh, that's a stat group, Chuck. Who are you hammering? Man, my brain box is telling me the five – and when you look at his stats in Martinsville, they're not that great, but that's all Ganassi stuff. When No, you're all shaking your head no? I just, 
I'll go on the I'll go on the limb here. I went on the limb early this year saying Kyle Larson's going to win ten this year, which I still believe he's going to because he's going to win Phoenix and win the championship. But I want to put a little bit of positive juju behind our guy Ryan Blaney uh, because he was looking pretty good this round of eight. had a had a solid day going at Kansas. Gets wrecked by Austin Dillon and usually is in the hunt at Martinsville. He's usually in the, that top four or five vying for a win. So I'm going to go Ryan Blaney. Going Ryan Blaney. I don't disagree. I still, like, I'm, I, I can't go against the five. It's hard to go against the five right now. Uh, I like Blaney, but I also like the 19 car where he's at, where he was the last race here. So I would, if I was betting on it, I would go with the 19. I agree with Skip Flores, 19 all day. So we're, we're, we haven't really given them good advice on this. We've given them three true options. I lean towards Corey's. I'd say if you were picking, it'd be between the 19 and the 12. So toss up. Go with the 12, guys. Go with 12. Isn't it funny now? This is my train of thought when I'm in the car nowadays, Merriman. When I saw the 18 car off the pace – with a flat right side, I'm like, the first thing I thought about was, oh, shit, we told our listeners to pick the 18 and jackpot races. They're screwed now. That's how much I'm invested in this show and our listeners. So when the 18 has a bad day and we showed y'all to pick him, I feel it, guys. I feel for you because I want you to win $25,000. So I'm feeling the 12. I was going to say one thing to go with your thing about the 12. If you look at the average finish for active drivers at Martinsville. It's Denny Hamlin at a 9.7 and Ryan Blaney at a 10.7. And that's active drivers. So he is the second best finisher out of the active drivers. I could lean towards that. Uh, well, that you know, you could probably discredit some of an average finish per se because a 10.1 finish Chuck ain't going to get the job done and get you into Phoenix. So he better be ramping it up a little bit. I think he's got some juju right now. I mean, the hair's looking good. Got a little bit of a beard going, a little playoff beard going. I feel it. I'm going with Ryan Blaney. I'd love to see him in the championship for here at Phoenix. Group two. All right, group two. Starting off is Kyle Bush. And uh, Brad Keselowski is your second pick. Kevin Harvick, William Byron, Alex Bowman, Christopher Bell. It's an easy pick, guys. Just do the right thing here. Let's go with the two. I'll agree with that. That's who, that's who I would pick. Ah, oh, shit. Merriman, pick somebody else. <laughs> uh, I'll take... Uh, I'll take Kyle Busch. Perfect. Okay. He's taking Oh My Soul, <laughs> Kyle Busch. Man, he is uh, quite emphatic behind the wheel and on the radio right now. I don't know. Joke, you got you to gotta be a little bit cool, cool, calm, and collected going to Martinsville because somebody gets in your left rear... You know, somebody runs you a little tight, gets in your bumper a little bit, moves you out of the way. You can't pull the pin. You can't go on a little tirade because 500 laps at Martinsville, a thousand break zones. Uh, you are trying to get every inch around there. So you have to be cool, calm, and collected all day long. To Ryan's point earlier, Brad Kozlowski is one of the best at it, one of the best on staying plugged in all day and giving his guys a shot at the end. So we will hammer the two cars. Group three. Group three. Kurt Busch, Matt DiBenedetto, Tyler Reddick driving like a maniac right now. Austin Dillon, Bubba Wallace, Ross Chastain. Bubba Wallace has a couple truck wins at this racetrack. Tyler Reddick is just fast everywhere. He hasn't. I've ran around him the last couple times at, at Martinsville in the cars that I drive, which shouldn't be run around Tyler's cars. So I don't know if it's a, you know, a little bit more of a disciplined track where he's 
uh, used to kind of hanging that thing out up against the fence at places like Kansas and Vegas and Texas. Um, so I don't know if I'm hammering the eight super hard this weekend. He could prove me wrong because he has a lot of confidence right now and that eight team's rolling, rolling good. But I don't know. I feel like Matt, Matt DeBettendetto has two more shots to, uh, you know, put a little bit of energy behind his name. It's not looking good right now because the music is starting to stop and the, the chairs are getting few and far between. It looks like as of right now, Matt is on the outside looking in. So Matt needs to have a big day uh, at Martinsville and or Phoenix to be back in the conversations for some rides here. So who knows? I'm not going to go with 21, but he needs to have a big day. I don't know. Chuck, who are you going with? I I, I kind of like the 23. I, I, I just, I don't know. There's something about it. I don't hate that pick at Martinsville. I like the 20. I like the 23 this weekend too. Toyota, Gibbs car, and this past weekend, their pit crew pick up the most spots on pit road, so they're doing well right now as well. So, hammer the 23. Yep, you need all the spots you can get on pit road, and if his boys are feeling it, then uh, they might be setting our boy Bubba up for a good run this Sunday afternoon. And then pick whoever else you want for Group Four. It doesn't really matter. You pick those three couple guys in the first three, you're shot at 25 grand. It's looking pretty good, man. So who's your race winner? Who is your race winner for this weekend? Right. I'm going to go I'm gonna go with the 12. Go with the 12? Ryan, who are you going with? I mean, oh, come on. Let's, <laughs> come on. I mean, it's Take either – it's the, it's the 12 without the one, man. Two car, let's go. Come see me. I'll let you, I'll let you touch my clock. <laughs> Merriman, what's your cold pick on it? Who are you taking? Uh, so <clears throat> I like the 19. Uh, I also don't think that Keselowski got the uh, due he was deserved there. Uh, I would have I would have put him in Group One, but then I would have taken Kyle Larson out of Group One, put put the two car in Group One. Uh, but I think it's going to be the two and the 19 battling out. I think Truex wins it though. Just because I want to see somebody sweep around and do some historical things, I'll, I'm going to take the five to win. I know that goes against what we said earlier, but I'm taking the five to win. Is Corey frozen? Corey's frozen. Let's go and try. You do it. That's his blue steel look. <laughs> I'm going to make cool faces the whole time in this case. <laughs> we should make our own guess who board with, <laughs> with all these stupid faces. Do they have a snapback hat on? I don't know. Yes. Chuck frozen again. <laughs> no what is going on here? Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> oh, this is so happening to us? Oh. This is ridiculous. Well, guys, sorry for not very clear directions this week on Jackpot, but you know what? You guys are smart enough because you've been listening to Stacking Pennies all year, so you know the same stuff that we know. So pick who you want to pick, and we wish you luck. Go download the app, Jackpot Races, and you can have a chance to win 2.5 million pennies. Good luck. And we're back with Penny for Your Thoughts. Y'all continue to send in your questions on Twitter using the hashtag Penny for Your Thoughts. I'm always interested to see what you guys come up with to ask me. Uh, each and every show. So Janie, we got some good ones this week. What we got? We do have some really good ones. This first one is actually for Flores and it's from Jake Stock. He asks, with single lug nut next year, I'd imagine Xfinity and truck are still running the five lug pattern. 
How will that affect live pit stop preparations for pit crews running multiple series? So that's a that's a great question. I don't know if there are is going to be much crossover with your top teams. I think that um, there will be five lug nut teams for your Xfinity and truck, and then your one lug nut team will stay the same. There was talk about the roster. If you're on a cup roster, you couldn't do an Xfinity car. None of that has really come out yet, but um, I like I wouldn't want to have any crossover, right? Once five lug nuts is done in the cup series and I'm still, you know, a, a contending championship on a championship contending cup car, I'm going one lug nut. I'm burning the ship uh, until I go back to my retirement plan for five lug nuts. So, uh, so yeah, we'll see how that all shakes out. But I would guess that the top teams you see on pit road will have a cup crew and then an Xfinity crew. All right. The second one comes from at van man six, four, five. And he says, how timid do you think some drivers might be at the start of 2022, mostly not to put the equipment at risk? Yeah. I mean, I think that there's certainly going to be, I don't know about timid is the word, you know, you're probably going to have some guys more conservative than others. Um, you know, me being one with a smaller team, we probably won't have but two or three cars prepared for the West Coast swing, which is usually a little bit nerve wracking. So you want to be in the mix of Daytona. You want to get a good finish there because it pays so well. Uh, you want to figure out to get through the West Coast swing and figure, you know, nobody knows mileage on transaxles, these uprights. Like there's so many variables of this next gen car that nobody knows. I think some of it's going to be a little bit of attrition. And I think if you can come out of the first couple of races with your cars intact to be able to continue to fine tune the setups is going to be important as opposed to fixing damage. So, you know, I'll have my aggression level, maybe not ramped all the way to 10 or to hundred, you know, it might be tampered slightly to begin the year just to kind of see what we got and figure out what the arrow balance, those next gen cars need to be, because it is a clean slate uh, of notes going into next year. So you'll see some guys not timid at all. Don't care. And you'll see a lot of guys that are probably trying to protect their equipment and everywhere in between. Do you throw the Daytona 500 out the window on that? Like, is it Daytona 500? That's one thing. And then West coast swing, that's its own. Like we'll get there. We'll worry about the cars and how do we extend it here? But like 500, it's the Daytona 500. Daytona 500. That's why it's so big. It's super bowl pays five times more than any other race. So we're going to be going for broke for that one, for sure. At least at the end, the stages don't pay. They obviously pay, pay points, but when the pay one opens up on the last lap, you better hope your car is in the mix because that could punch your ticket to the playoffs. First race of the year it could get a little crazy. All right. And the last question, which I feel like we're already going to know what your answer is going to be, but Ian Malone asks better road trip highway tune flirting with disaster by Molly Hatchett. Running on empty by Jackson Brown or life in the fast lane by the Eagles. Well, Chuck's going to chime in on this because he's a music buff and head singer songwriter for dog ear himself. But it, for me, I walked out to flirting with disaster by Molly Hotchett at Bristol, got the crowd fired up. Uh, and then that first guitar riff in life of the fast lane by the Eagles just gets the blood pumping as well. So you can't go wrong with either one of those, you know, running on empty. I can probably do without, but those first, those, those first and the last I can get down with. I would throw out a fourth option to this, which combines Jackson Brown and the Eagles, and that's Take It Easy. Oh, yes. That Great. is That, to me, is one of the perfect road trip songs because it was written by Jackson Brown and then finished by Glenn Fry of the Eagles. So he added that, that easy. He added that. So 
That is my perfect road trip song. I'm glad we have Chuck to give us that little tidbit of information. I just listen to my dog gear album everywhere I go. Yeah, it's good. We got a new one. It's coming out. It's going to be hot. It's going to be a great road trip song. It's a breakup song too. So it's great. So there it is. Penny for your thoughts. Continue to send those tweets in with using the hashtag Penny for your thoughts. And we'll get to those each and every week here because we will be podcasting after the year's over. We're going to do some, we got some ideas for some really cool content uh, between now and then. But Chuck, we are 100 days on Friday away from the first exhibition race of the year at the LA Coliseum. So mark your calendars from next Friday, or actually this Friday. We are 100 days away. We'll be back to Daytona before you know. But first, we will be in the Coliseum. It's going to be bizarre. It's going to be super fun. We've got a couple guys driving, including Dale Earnhardt Jr. at Bowman Gray, just getting a feel for that next-gen car around a quarter mile. So – who knows what's going to happen? It's going to be wild. We'll have that coverage on NASCAR.com. Well, since today's Wednesday, when you're listening to this podcast, that test was Tuesday. So if you're listening to this and you don't know about it, go over to NASCAR.com. There'll be some videos there uh, with uh, Larry McReynolds breaking down some of the stuff with that car as as folks prep for the Coliseum. Alex Weaver is going to be on there as well. We'll get some interviews with Dale Jr. We'll get Clint Boyer. So check that stuff out right now on NASCAR.com and YouTube. You do not want to miss it because people seem to cannot get enough of this next-gen stuff. Uh, it'll be here for you. No, we're working hard. It's it's at Bowman Gray, too. Like, the test is at Bowman Gray. How badass. I'm, I'm – hang on. Let me say it like this, like it happened yesterday. It was an awesome thing to watch those car, that car, that next-gen car go around at Bowman Gray. It for sure was. And, hey, I've got a trophy on my mantle from Bowman Gray Stadium with the K&N East car, too. So I know my way around a quarter-mile tight bull ring. So don't count the seven out when we go to L.A. Coliseum. Could get a little crazy. Boom shakalaka. We don't want to leave without recognizing the penny stagger of the week. Some kid, Alan Bedgood is his name. He reached out on Twitter. This guy has a, at this point in time, a half a sleeve, about an elbow up to his shoulder, tattoos of driver signatures joey logano's on there noah gregson's on there there's a couple others and he tweeted at me before the race said he wanted to get my autograph on his arm that made me kind of feel weird uh because i didn't want to sign his arm nor do i want to be uh i don't know i feel like it's a little bit weird but hey that's his thing that's his thing i signed his little piece of paper so if he wants to get it copied and transferred to his army will but I told him this, I told him, I don't want to be part and add to the bill of this tattoo removal here in 10 years when he realized that was a bad idea, getting us half-ass race car driver's autographs on his arm. But Alan Bedgood, sir, you have some autographs tattooed on your arm. Therefore, you are the penny stacker of the week. Round of applause. Is he going to fill it in or is it just going to be the... Like, is, he, is there going to be stuff around the tattoo, the, the signatures? or It looks like somebody took a fine point Sharpie and signed his arm multiple times. I mean, he's got the likes of Door Bumper Clear Podcast or Brett Griffin on there. I mean, the list is the who's who. So you're saying I've got a chance. I've got a chance of signing an arm. Might be able to make it on Alan Bedgood's arm. Who knows? I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of with you. I feel like that. I, I don't know if I'd want to sign somebody's arm to get tattooed. Just, I don't know. That's a little bit weird to me, but, uh, you know, we're all a bit weird on the inside. So that's enough for today. Talk to y'all next week. Tune in for Martinsville. It's going to be wild. And in the meantime, y'all keep stacking pennies.